بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولا Welcome everybody to the Safina Society Nothing But Facts live stream on a Thursday which is uh, tomorrow is Yom Ashura uh, today is the day uh, our last stream before Ashura and so we we will be discussing Ashura today but first there was a brother who um, happened to know Owen Benjamin become friends with him I guess friendly with him to the point that he could invite uh, him over to the stream. And I said, why not? Uh, the more we talk to people, I'm always into talking to somebody new. Um, and let me begin with what everyone probably may say. Oh, you're given a platform just because someone's interested in Islam. Of course. What do you think we want to do? We want to give dawah. And, we want, and how does that begin? It begins by talking. So anybody who is interested in Islam, he's, only, he's the one that responds. We talk to a lot of people. We tried to get a lot of people on, but you know, their Instagram's accounts are, their Twitter accounts are so busy, not everyone gets back, right? So we're open to talk to anyone who has a genuine inclination towards Islam, right? And so that's, uh, that, that's, that's the motivation. Clearly, obviously, we don't endorse a lot of things that people have done in the past, and people, everyone's got a past, Right. If that if you're going to go that you cannot even have a conversation with someone because he has something in the past. uh, We say, okay, fine. Where's the line? I would put it as this one. If someone is Seb Rasul Seb Din, someone is a cursor, curses your Deen. And never took it back, never said, okay, I was young. I made a stupid mistake. But this is an enemy of your religion, an avowed enemy. Then what's the purpose of talking? Right. I would say this even for another Muslim who has a deviant belief. Okay. There will be, you know, how we talk is going to have to be moderated. So likewise, here you have a man, he's not a Muslim, so the, you don't expect him to observe by those rules. But his uh, approach towards Islam, there is some kind of um, leaning towards it, and that's what we want to investigate. So we're going to ask him how did Islam even got on his, your radar, what he finds appealing, and what stops him from entering Islam. Like, we're... We're very open about what we do here. We, this is haq. If it's haq, why don't I invite people to it? Right? And what does he feel about Christianity? What does he feel about uh, what, is the, what are the most destructive forces in society? And who, who, which faith is appearing to be, or which followers are appealing to, to, to withstand these things? Right? To withstand these problems in society. And I'm telling you, for Muslims in the world today, in the West, to just be basically good Muslims, that's it, basics, right? You're, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a massive, stark difference between the, reg, the where the rest of this country is going. Just the fact, alcohol doesn't enter your home. You know how much that alters people's lives? People's up, entire upbringing is consumed because the dad comes back drunk. And they don't know what's going to happen, right? Their entire upbringing, this is like on their mind. It destroys lives. It destroys upbringings. Just khamr. Just the fact people know and don't know who their parents are, right? You believe that there's, I was talking to a convert and he was saying that in his family, there's a nephew. We really have doubts about him. I'm like, my brother's son. I'm like, this is not your son, man. And he says, no, he is my son. And I said, no, he doesn't even look like you. And he said, I could find the guy who, who it is, right? Because people know who's in the circle, right? It's, it's that guy's son. That's a discussion. 
subhanallah, something 99 times less than that would be a fitna in an Islamic, in a Muslim marriage, a Muslim practicing Muslim household, 99 times less than that. That's khutwat al-shaytan. We would never even come close to this, a practicing Muslim family. Why? It's not just you behave well when you're practicing Muslims. Allah protects you. If two people are on the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will stop the fitna. Earlier, something would happen and boom, stops it way earlier. So I'm saying that for Muslims just to practice the fundamentals of their deen and have these results, people are not, aren't stupid. And he's one of the people I don't think is stupid. He sees a big difference. He says, these Muslim people, say what you want about them. They're brown. They're from other countries. They make fun of... They don't got these problems. Something about their deen is a firewall. Just seems... The, the, the shar just doesn't stop at a certain point. Right? The evil just doesn't penetrate at a certain point. Okay? So that's uh, uh, the purpose of this. And that's uh, what we're... Uh, um, you know, what our intention is with this interview. There's another guy I want to interview. He already became Muslim, but I still want to get him on. What was his name? The Norwegian brother. Bobby's perspective. Yeah. And there was another brother who we did this years ago, way before the live stream. What was his name? This guy was on CNN. His life blew up because he supported Palestine. Do you guys remember who that guy was? But his... It's not. He had an inclination towards Islam, but we didn't get so far because he's a complete like type of um, perennialist view of things. Like, yeah, I'm Muslim, but there's a lot of other truths too. And he's very far on the left. That's why it didn't go so far with him. What was his name? Guy who was on CNN. And then he was pro-Palestine, got kicked off CNN. He's a professor at Temple. Oh, What was his name? Uh, I bought him to MBIC to have this, this type uh, of discussion. Not Donald. Not Don Lemon, no. Uh, Mark Lamont Hill. Yeah. I thought he's Muslim. He's a Muslim. Like he, he's Muslim, but a lot of his views are are more on the left wing side of things yeah. than in Islam. And I don't. And he is an avowed. He tells you, I'm a Muslim. We had great relationship in the sense of as as brief as it was. He's really nice. He gets along. He's um, so I I enjoy talking to him. But again, what is my purpose? It's Dawa. I'm not going to just talk to someone because I need friends. I don't need any more friends, alhamdulillah, right? I'm here to talk to people to, for the purpose of, as a self-appointed, I guess you could say, ambassador for Allah and His Messenger. All of us are, whether we like it or not. And Allah is commanding us to be His ambassadors. Go, tell people about the deen, talk to them. Okay. And that, so I did talk to Mark Lamont Hill. We had some discussions and um, we, we never really continued Right, but at least it's a bridge. He knows where I am. Some of the positions in Islam, he just couldn't take it. His his whole career, his all his friends, his whole life, would just he can't get close to someone like myself, especially what we say about Qomilut and all that. Right, he he can't get too close. So if you're very cozy with the left side of things, there's a limit. I remember like some things he said. Well, what do you say about this? Right, I said. Uh, you know, about like Qamut. I said, this is what we say about it, right? And he just went silent because, you know, like if he, if he says something like that, he's finished, axed. So I understand that. I'm sensitive to that. But that stops him. Uh, on the right side, I'll tell you what it is. It's Israel. 
And there are a lot of guys who support all of our family values of Islam. They like the fact that it's that we're we're clear about what we believe and we're not wishy-washy perennialists who all truths are the same. But they can't come too close to us because they're um, the either is the Palestine Israel issue. They are staunch Zionists. And that's what you're gonna find from a lot of the high end of the um, leadership of the right. Okay the leadership of the right, they can't come close to Muslims. And they have to stop any of this rank-and-file people being now interested in Islam. They're interested in Islam because they see this is the only group of people that is putting up the fight. Let me tell you something. As a criticism within our community, every time I look and see a uh, group of Muslims have, you know, um, marched, and giving interviews on why they believe in the opt-out and they don't believe. And a group of Muslims are speaking out. Let me tell you what's a criticism and what's a problem. It is always, they're always either immigrants or African-Americans. African-Americans, they know how to speak out. They're not afraid of anybody. They've been speaking out for ages. They fought worse things. Physical brutality that we can't even imagine. Or immigrants who don't know what it means to be cool, don't have that on the reference point, don't have old friends in high school, don't have that sense, you know? That sense. They walk in completely awkward. He doesn't care. It's not his country, right? What there is not enough of, now the coalition of virtue is led by this, by one of them, second generation, uh, Desi or Arab or ethnic, whatever, second generation. Karim Munib is that, right? But there's not a lot of others. It's as if the second generation, they're too delicate. They just, they, oh, they still want to be cool. They still want to be within. They don't want to be cringy. Now, these immigrants don't care about being cringy. They go in there and say, I'm here. My name, Osman. I'm disagree. Okay. Opt out. Blah, blah, blah. Right. <laughs> he has no, sh- none of that softness, that delicateness. And that's a criticism for us. This is, there is a bad thing about this whole opt-out, this rise up. Who's leading it? Not the imams and not the second generation. It's the normal, regular Muslim moms and immigrant dads and some, maybe, second generation, okay? Just looking at a lot of the, the stuff, that judging this from the bird's eye view of... Uh, you know the testimonials. Let me let me get, let me read you one testimonial. That uh, play for you a clip. Okay, just listen to this brother. Okay, listen to this brother. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Theodore Shumi. I'm testifying today as a U.S. citizen who lives on the county. He lives and on the county. Also, Orthodox Christian parents. He's a Christian. In your right? recent communication targeting the protest against your decision to add LGBTQ books, you made it clear that it was no fair that someone identified the addition of pro LGBTQ books in elementary school. As an, an you get LGBTQ the point, right? Curriculum. The guy doesn't care. Any one of his. Next generation, second generation Muslims would really be soften it up and maybe not do it, all that stuff, right? So that's where we stand, and that's a little criticism. How are we on this interview? Are we? Is it going on? Did uh, our brother, our middleman, get back to us? Yeah. 
Uh, Learning Edip says Bobby got a digital attack apparently lately. What what happened to him? Who attacked him? What do you mean a digital attack? Listen, any of you listeners know of anyone uh, from outside the community of Islam who is interested to uh, learning about this, okay? Uh, Learning about Islam. Has any inclination towards Islam? You tell us. We want to bring him on and talk, right? And, oh, why don't you talk in private? These people don't talk in private. These public personalities don't have time to talk in private, right? And we want everyone to see the conversation. What they say on the record it lasts a long time. Right? That's what's important. All right, still people... By the way, that Imran Hussein video, there's like 5,000... Double the views of every other video because they got so tri- triggered by it. All okay, right, so... Thing is about... Um, what is wrong with um, saying something about Imran Hussein uh, when it's his methodology? We didn't criticize the man or spread any slanders about the man, but you know, people are just, uh, you know what they are. Okay. All right, let's take any Q&A now because we're probably not going to be taking many Q&A uh, afterwards because we have to read about, give a short, you know, I wish we could have done more, but this interview came up at this time about Ashura and we can inshallah continue talking about Ashura afterwards. Nothing stops us from continuing on Monday. Um, yep, they're back. No, they're all YouTube addicts and 19 years old, unemployed. No offense to you guys, but that's how you appear. If you're doing this, tell me something. Does anyone with a regular job go around, you know, uh, commenting incessantly like this for days and days and days and repeating the same comment? No one with a job would do that. What is Ashura and what is the reward of it? Ashura has many, many benefits and blessings. Amongst them is that it's a day that the Arabs always fasted. Okay. It's a day that the Arabs lost the knowledge of why they fasted. In Mecca, they used to fast Ashura. And the reason they fasted Ashura had to do with um, the Sayyidina Ibrahim and Sayyidina Ismail. Ashura is a day that Allah selected according to Athar. We're not going to say Sahih Hadiths. Athar. That Allah selected for many momentous events. Such as the flood of Nuh, that the, the, they were saved on Ashura, okay? Uh, or was it the, sorry, the, they landed on Ashura, okay? Uh, the Bani Israel were saved, okay? Okay, they were saved on Ashura. Bani Israel were saved on Ashura. Um, so Ashura became a day in which the Ismail, followers of Sayyidina Ismail fasted, and the Jews fasted, except that the followers of Satan Ismail lost the reason, they forgot the reason why they fasted that day. Which you can, which happens, right? People have events, people have things in which, um, uh, you know, things happen in the society and they forgot the origin of it. Halloween is one of those examples. People just trick or treat, but the origin of it, it has an origin. People forget the origin. So, 
uh, when the Prophet ﷺ arrived at Medina, he found the Jews also fasting it. So he asked, well, you fast it too? He said, yes. On this day, the Red Sea was split for us. We were saved from Fir'aun because of, uh, on this day, so we fast. So the Prophet ﷺ said that we are more worthy of fasting it, so we fast two days. So to fast Ashura is one day, you get the reward of Ashura, cleansing of sins. Okay, uh, Habib Omar said it's like highlighting files in your computer. Hit one button, delete. This is what we do with our sins, right? And some people, oh, that's too easy. What do you mean too easy? Why would you get involved in Allah's decision? If that's how Allah wants to treat our minor sins. Now, what does it not? It does not alter your debts. You offended somebody, okay? Certain things you still have to fix. The sin of the action can be deleted. Okay, but the result of the action has to be addressed. Okay, result of the action being, for example, you you offended somebody. So, okay, the sinfulness of this behavior, fine. We 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 can remove that, can delete that with ease. But the uh, offense that you did to somebody, we have to uh, to address. All right, our guest is here. Um, let's do a mic check. Check one, check two. Nope. Hello, hello. Maybe the, you check, check your mic real quick. Someone's one, maybe it's. Two. All right. Thank you very much. All right, Owen Benjamin. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, I think a lot of our audience do uh, know who you are, and uh, but some of them don't. So while Omar, you adjust the cameras so it's like uh, he's a bit. We're make make us even in our size. How's All that? right, that's good. Perfect. Yeah, sorry for being late. I thought it was one thirty uh, Pacific Standard Time. So oh, no problem. No, yeah. no problem at all. No problem at all. So um, I want to tell everyone that Owen Benjamin is an outspoken former comedian, formerly in the world of entertainment, um, and lives in in New York, upstate New York. So you're actually not that far. I- Idaho. Idaho. Oh, now, now it's Idaho. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought it was Oswego, New York. That's your hometown, though. That's where I'm from. That's where okay. I was born. Okay. Yeah. So now you're, um, that's Mountain Time? No, Pacific Standard Time. Uh, oh, yeah, it's Pacific. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. And I, I, you don't even remember where Idaho is on the map, to be honest with you. It's right it up there. It looks like by- Montana. If you actually look at the border of Montana and Idaho, yeah. I swear to God, it looks like Joe Biden is smelling somebody. <laughs> if you look at it, it's his exact uh, uh, side angle. Okay. Yeah, I swear, yeah. Well, now and I have I still, to look at I it. still do comedy. I just don't do it in uh in the B system anymore. But we do uh that's something fun to talk about about how we got out of that cuz I got banned from all the clubs and theaters cuz I was making fun of sodomy and that's a big uh that's a big no-no for the B. So uh you know, I still do comedy but it's just private. You know, it's uh it's so funny. And one of my one reason why I'm I'm into talking to you is one of my best friends is uh Muslim and he showed me, you know, how things are controlled with usury and stuff like that. And so, like, to get around the debt, because that's how all these theaters and clubs are controlled, mm. is they're all in debt. And so the 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 whoever controls the the, the what's it called Reba <laughs> owns the theater. Yeah. So it's like, so I, I really got to see behind the scenes uh, a lot spiritually when it came to how things are controlled, because it made no sense. I was like repped at CAA. I've been in Sandler movies. Mm. I've had, you know, Comedy Central specials. I was Vince Vaughn's closing act. I was a lead of a sitcom for three years. Like I was, a, my pictures painted on the wall of the Hollywood improv. Like I wasn't some 
spring chicken. Mm. And to watch them shut me down, it wasn't because I was arrested or anything, or it wasn't because of a, a morality issue. It was because I wouldn't go with the trans kid issue. or uh, mm. I, And I was openly making fun of sodomy. And it wasn't like I was being crazy about it. I was just doing this bit about uh, how gross it is. Because I had a gay friend that was like, oh, you like women? Gross. And I'm not going to insult your audience with uh, vulgarity here, but I started making fun of him about what he's into, you know? And so I didn't realize that that was one of the um, the pillars of uh, the peace system is yeah. you got to promote Simon. And then to see how usury controls the whole matrix, I was like, wow, I didn't even know what the word usury was. And so, uh, yeah, that's why I've been, uh, you know, the spells around Islam for me broke uh, with the 9-11 truther stuff because that's such a key component. Like they don't want, they want our freedom or whatever. And then to really see like how many things you guys are aware of morally that keep, you know, the gender roles and the usury and all that stuff. It's been really an amazing experience. So that's a little background on me. Okay, good. So uh, the private equity firms that run uh, that, that invest in media and comedy and, uh, and, and, and Hollywood, there are only a few in number yeah. right yeah, and so six. yeah re recently someone had put something out there that all of this is driven by only a handful of of private equity firms so you're the second one who's echo who's made that statement so who are some what are some of these private equity firms are they known in the public sphere well if you just look at those pyramids you can just the higher up you go the more you just see uh, that they are just controlled by a small amount of people I mean, you have the big ones like, you know, Disney and then Viacom and all that. But the higher up you go, it gets real spooky. I remember like during the uh, COVID stuff that one of the biggest holding companies is called Jab Holdings, literally J-A-B. They mm -hmm. love these little jokes and they own Panera Bread, Beyonce, like they own Beyonce. I'm like, what? <laughs> and they, like all these little puppets that they have. Uh, yeah, it is a small group. And but the thing I focused on is the is the grassroots ground up stuff, because uh, I, I just don't look up. I don't look at them as much as I used to. I just see them as like a den of vipers. And I just look more to like I farm and I have four sons and I, you know, I do my live streams. And I try to build I try to build a replacement for everything that I see as bad. Like we have a totally clean social media called Bertaria times mm -hmm. where we don't allow vulgarity. We don't even allow truth or stuff. And I'm like a truther guy. And cause I wanted to replay it with no debt, no uh, outside forces, you know? And so that that's what I focus on. I used to look at the, who they like, who's they, and I went down all those rabbit holes and I got really mad at, you know, Zionism and all that stuff. And then I started being like, well, you know, they can't stop um, the sun from shining and the fruit from growing. And that's that's where I'm focused now. So you're you have this motivation. Now, what is your main driving force? Is it Christianity or is it? Well, just I mean, Christians, I've had a riff with a lot of uh, quote unquote Christians because I, I always consider my well, not always, but for the last several years, consider myself Christian. But I'm not into the Trinity and um you know, and I'm not even like mad about it. I just asked who's Jesus praying to. And it, that sparked this like horrible fight on the internet. And so it's one reason why I think I've, uh, some of my Muslim listeners uh, relate to me is because uh, apparently in Islam, you know, Jesus 
was praying to God. And so, cause my question was always, why would God pray to himself? And it's very, it, and I had no agenda around it either. I want to go to a church. Like I'm not like this dogma shaking religious guy. Like I'm not, you know, I, I like to uh, not um, idol smash people's religion as much as possible. But at the same time, I'm like, well, you know, and then I made fun of Paul a bit. And uh, because I'm like, so, so Paul was the last prophet then because uh, God can't, or Jesus, who you claim is God came to Paul. Mm -hmm. So therefore Paul, and then they're like, they just get really mad. A lot of Christians don't get mad. A lot of them are really great people, but the ones that, you know, seem to really want to hold that monopoly on only through us, do you get to God? Uh, there was a real rip. And that's why I talked to like Eddie, you know, from the Dean show and all these yeah. guys, because I, I related a lot to, uh, to Islamic scholarship when it comes to, when it comes to that, you know? So what do you think is the biggest issue that you're, you, you, you tweet a lot as if there is a matrix, a, a, a destructive force in the country? Yeah. Uh, why don't you expand a little bit that? And the second question is who or what is resisting it? In your view, in your in that's your... a great question. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, man, it's like every week I almost would have a different answer. To that that's an interesting question. I, uh, I think the matrix is almost like a set of agreements in your own head, where mm -hmm. it's like, um, that's why I like to uh, what they call spell break. They say, you know, uh, Owen Benjamin, the Bard King of Bertaria, breaker of spells, milker of goats. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, that's another funny thing is, uh, I, I have a ton of goats now, and so and and people. Well, we'll get into that another time. Anyway, I had so, a goat too, but it didn't end very well. <laughs> what happened? Uh, you're not allowed to have them in the city, so they just took it away. I had to oh, really? return it back to the goat? farm. So, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, I like that you had the you had the the audacity to get a goat in the city. That's really that's cool. <laughs> I like that. Well, we we're we're in the middle of the city, where a place where people wouldn't complain about it, and we have a yard where we where we're at. Uh, but there was construction on the road. So a cop was walking back and forth, saw the goat and then decided to call us in. So, uh, that's how the, our goat got taken away, but continue. Oh yeah. So I think the matrix is almost like, um, in your head, it's like a set of agreements. Like, what do you think? Like, that's why I like to spell break a lot of these deceptions, like a lot of these media based deceptions, because I think the matrix is anytime you're not having gratitude, and you're just accepting uh, you're 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 basing your actions on an on like a given like in a logic proof. It's called a given like X equals four, Y equals three, like your givens are off. And so you're in this like deranged uh, matrix world. And I think that there are people that do create that to keep uh, people in this hellscape. you know, like ingratitude is a big problem. And I. Uh, I became friends with the artist formerly known as Kanye West, you know, yay. And his quote, uh, and we had a long talk about this once, that he said, slavery's a choice. And that's what got people so mad at him because the victim narrative that a lot of African-Americans have is that they will always be this victimized class. And yay said, slavery's a choice. And that, you know, I related to St. Augustine when he said, talked about that too, like you're uh you're only a slave to your vices. And so I think the matrix is, you know, trying to keep you drunk and dumb and sterile and without family and alone and isolated and ungrateful and all that. That's how you make a man in a state of slavery to 
um, to the, the, the world and not God, you know? And so I, uh, I think fighting against that, the, the number one thing, which I, I know you guys teach in Islam, which is really cool. Cause I tweeted about this and a lot of Muslims really pumped about, about it's just gratitude, you know, like our, um, our family prays every meal just to be like, what are you thankful for? And when you're grateful to like mercy, you know, the merciful God and the provider, you don't fall in the traps as much. Cause I think um, ingratitude is pretty much the quickest, fastest highway to, to slavery by, you know, the evil, the devil, the rebellion, the, the envious one, the shaitan, you know, like it's, it's there and it's like, there is a uh, an abstract evil in this world that is envious and wants to be God and can't be God and wants you in his army. But like, he's always throwing his own soldiers uh, in the fire. Like he hates anyone who loves him, you know? It's really interesting. So when, when you talk about this in Idaho, I don't think there's a much of a Muslim community because I want to ask no. you, what do you, your comparison, your view of things, which... You, you see how Muslims, you don't, do you get to see how Muslims live at all? Uh, well, yeah, one of my best friends up here is Muslim, as I said. And uh, I know a lot, I know people that, that are Muslim adjacent up here, but a lot of them are like Christians. It's like one of my, uh, my Muslim friend was like, Jesus, peace be upon him. This is what he said to me. He goes, brought the word. It just got really corrupted by the churches. So really authentic Christians and authentic Muslims actually get along really well. And there's not this huge rift that people think there are, you know, it's like, um, you know, that, that if you really read what Jesus said and really think about it, it's not off the Islamic way of life. And that most of the, the lies are in the, um, the dogma, you know, it's in like the, like it's in like some of these, uh, what's it called? The, the Schofield Bible and all this, you know, like all these like manipulations. And so, yeah, there isn't a mosque up here. Like my buddy goes to uh, Spokane uh, to a mosque there, but there is a way of life here that I find deeply spiritual and deeply connected to God, you know, cause it's very agricultural, very homesteady, very uh, family oriented. And that way of life gets along really well. I mean, there's a lot of um, like really more like a, herbalisty i wouldn't call them pagan because they're not i don't know how to describe it but just kind of like really into um you know herbs and nature and hunting and all that stuff and they get along great with you know they'd get along great with muslims because they're just all about the truth you know well, let me tell you this there was a guy who said um he put up a picture of some degeneracy and a video of some really the stuff that you find on libs uh, of TikTok, right? Yeah, yeah. He put that up, and he said the, the the future is either this or it's Christian nationalism, right? So, my response to that was, I don't think that's the case because Christianity had one hundred percent monopoly over the continent. There was the only religious message, and you had every all the forces supporting it. Yet it led to this. So. It's one thing, it is true that most a practicing Muslim, a practicing Christian really get along well. But when we're talking about a strategy, we're talking about the past. How did we get here? And this is one of the biggest points that Muslims bring forward is that we got here because of the flaws embedded in Christianity. Okay, 
Now, I know that you said earlier, I don't want to smash anyone's religion, so I'm not going to ask you to do that. But I'm telling you our perspective. The flaws, within Christ- yeah. with the, the flaws within Christianity is what led to this, right? The inability to convince large, massive swaths of generations to choose that path over a path of temptation. You should look at, back at the time of Elvis is a great uh, comparison. Like, he inflamed so many temptations and desires. That whole culture, right? Yeah. That whole generation had a choice to make, right? And you got to look at the big swath. So my response was, of course, the guy didn't respond back. I said, you guys had a whole 200 years, 300 years. We're here because that medicine didn't do the job. So my question to you is, you have a lot of tweets talking about Muslims, you know, uh, being resistant to these things. That's what I want you to talk about. What drives you to make those tweets? You're making the same observations we made, right? Because I'm a truther. So it's like whatever the truth is, I'll, I'll talk about. But I will say this. Humans are, are capable of bending and twisting the truth. And I, you know, because I can see there's certain forces in Islamic culture that could end up being nonsense, like what happened in Catholicism, where they're just worshiping bones and a guy's got a big phallus on his head. You know, it's like um, with like naked kids all over the Vatican. Mm. Like, you know, how do you get to that point? And so I think the advantage Islam has is there's only one Quran. Like, I like to look at the fundamentals where it's like, because Christianity should work, but why does it keep getting twisted? Like, why do they keep saying, but this is the phrase that really, I think, gets people in a bad spot. But what he really means is, and then you just start doing this Talmudic um, uh, reformatting definitions of words, and anyone can do that. Like, like if you look at uh, like the Andrew Tate right now, like he will throw out stuff that is very questionably Islamic, you know, and uh, and you're just like, are you, is, is there forces at work in Islam? Because Islam is. Uh, where, where you can start saying, well, you know, to be a good Muslim, you got to act like Andrew Tate and get a bunch of webcam girls in Romania. And, but, you know, and you're like, well, this is what happened to Christianity. Because if you look at Christianity in 1850, it looks a lot like they're following Sharia law. You know, you have women covering their heads. They're wearing long dresses. Women are not to be unaccompanied by, you know, unaccompanied without their husband, all this stuff. And you're like, so how did you get to... Coldplay concerts in a mega church with rainbow flags. Like, how do you get to that point? <laughs> you know? And so I think the advantage Islam has that I really hope you guys hold on to is, you know, it's a, the Quran doesn't change and you guys all learn the same language. Like imagine if um, the Bible, you like learned it in Sanskrit and there was one version and you can't just keep manipulating it. Uh, I think a really strong thing in Islam right now is that the Quran in Arabic is learned by children and they know all the words. And so it makes it way harder to manipulate and bend and say, well, I, you know, the King James version versus this version, you know, because then you just get in. It's almost like uh, my friend Vox calls them Bible lawyers where they're mm-hmm. like they're like arguing points. Like, it's more about their will. It's it's very satanic. It's very like, uh, do as thou will, where you're like, where you're just trying to make an argument to justify your behavior. And so I know Muslims are capable of doing that because all humans are. Like, we all have that temptation. And when people pretend they don't, like when people pretend they're self-righteous, that's a real problem. But I think the 
fundamental of one Quran where you memorize it when you're young is a huge advantage. And I would, I would be very happy if, if there was that in Christianity, but like the translations and the fractured nature of it, I think can get a little, it's almost like, it's like a crack in a sidewalk where it opens it up for more cracks. Well, let me tell you this, like, uh, part of you said what, what you said is a hundred percent true. The prophet peace be upon him said that, uh, Judaism would divide up in 71 sects, right? Which either it's literally 71 or it's a lot of sex. Christianity so would divide. Don't they say there's 72 genders? Or like, it's funny how these words <laughs> kind of line up. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. All right. Like Christianity would divide up into 72 sects. And he said, and this nation will divide into 73 sects. So the, the point being is that the ways of misguidance are ways of human behavior, right? Human beings yeah. do the same thing. Now, but where's the difference? The difference is that, so in one sense, the prophet is saying, we'll have even more. Muslims will have even more uh, uh, strands of misguidance within it than the pre previous two religions. But the difference is the follow-up question. They said, well, which one do we follow? Um, messenger of God. And he said, the mainstream, which is the difference being... Okay, and the divine protection of the of, of of Islam is that the sects get marginalized real quick, so sure. we never negate their presence, but they get marginalized real quick. And the reason they get marginalized real quick, they they'll exist. You can find them in the books. You can find them online. You can find people, but they will never inf uh, infect the mainstream permanently. And the reason is that the way the Prophet taught was public. The, the, the Quran was recited publicly five times, more than five times, five times in every mosque. And in Medina, there were like 10, at least 10 masajid. So that's fifth, well, take out the silent prayer. So that's 30 times at the very least. So the, you cannot corrupt something that is public. Everybody knows it. And there's no one central organization, unlike churches tend to be centralized organizations. So the theology of Islam is never, it was something that was just spoken publicly in front of everybody. So that if I want to go off back to my city and cook something up, right, that is bending to my will, that serves my people and myself, I could probably do that and get away with it until another Muslim comes in from yeah, exactly. outside, right? And he well, calls the fraud. Jesus teaches that. That's in the Bible. That's why the, the yeah. main problem with Christianity is they're not listening to Jesus. It's like Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name, that's a church. And Jesus also uh, did everything publicly. Like It was all about the public and, and like having the word be accessible to everybody. Yeah. And so that that's why it's frustrating sometimes to see Christianity because it's it's that's in the Bible, you know? And Jesus would say... You know, when people would try and worship him, he'd say, no, worship my, uh, worship God. And then people are like, oh, so that means you're God. And it's like, no, that's how you create the idol mm. that, that allows this all in. That's why I don't, and that's really cool. You guys are like that. I like that. I like the, the public repetition of what the standard is, decentralize it because yeah, the, the Catholic church is a nightmare. It's like that's centralized political control. And, you know, that's kind of what happened with Israel. Like Israel and the Vatican are very similar with like, they they made it a political entity, you know, like the Vatican's mm -hmm. a nation state. It's a country. Yeah. yeah. And the same thing happened with Israel. That's why I know so, a good amount of my 
Jewish friends aren't even into Israel because they think it kind of undercuts their their religion because they're not supposed to have it until they get the their Moshiach or whatever. Yeah. So it's it's interesting stuff. I just I, I judge by the fruits and I see Muslims with uh, large families. I see them as grateful, happy people. Typically, you know, you're always going to have your issues. But I really like that Mohammed talked about how the hypocrite um, is is you know the worst of them all. Like the ones that 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 do these these uh, these public acts, but privately they're cynical and self righteous. And I just mm. think that uh, you know I'm I, I enjoy a lot of your communities and. You know, like um, like Dearborn, Michigan, I could tour in, and I can't tour mm. in New York, and I'm a <laughs> and I'm a comedian, I'm an American, yeah. so it's like that's crazy. The ironies are, are are wild. You know, like I could tour right now in Saudi Arabia easier <laughs> than I could in San Francisco. That's crazy. Is, yeah, oh. and I like to point that out on Twitter because I like to show it in people's faces what their freedom actually got them. Like quote yeah. unquote freedom is slavery. You know, uh, what is the end times like in? The version of Christianity that you look up to, that you that 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 you take inspiration from, what do they have about the end times? Because this is a, it. The end times is an extremely important theme for Muslims for a certain reason, is that we're living so far removed from the time of the Prophet peace be upon him, and one of the greatest drivers of Muslims' faith is reading the prophecies of the end times, and yeah. when they Muslim reads that, it's as if the Prophet is living right amongst us. And it's and what a prophet is. How does a prophet validate himself? Right, that he's truthful. If one person comes in and says to us, "Follow this," we in Islam we don't follow one single claim. Once you bring it with three, four claims, or bring five, six people to verify this person, then we can follow it. Right. That's that's how our study of transmission is like that. How do you verify a prophet? Who has the moral capacity to verify a prophet? Nobody. Right. Only people verify their equals. Right. So prophets come and God verifies them by prophecies. The one thing we all agree is out of our control is the future. So if you are talking to God and the only God knows the future, we all agree on that. Tell us something about the future. That's your verification. Okay. So the prophecies of the prophet came a lot of them early on for the companions and for the first generation. Then you have a gap. A lot of prophecies did not occur for the middle period, and that's because they, Muslims didn't need them, right? You had massive Muslim empires. They didn't need to be convinced of Islam. The world convinced them of Islam. The success of the nation uh, of Muslims convinced them. But you come to the end time, and now you have Muslims scattered all over the place, and you have crisis after crisis. There's not one single Islamic country that you could say, wow, this is it. This is our beacon for the world, Right? So how, what drives Muslims, individuals, to hold on to their faith? It's the prophecies of the end times. And you have little booklets of these prophecies. The manuscripts are still there. It's not something someone made up. Uh, the manuscripts have been there for centuries. Nobody knew what it really means. We know what it means. Like, we see it right in front of us. So here's the question is, what does that drive Christian communities too? Because this is our biggest driving force or one of our, I should say, one of our massive driving forces, and even there's a prophecy about that. There is a prophecy that the prophet, peace be upon him, said, you will see things you've never seen before, then someone in the gathering will say, did the prophet say something about it, right? So the very discussion about end-time prophecies is a prophecy, subhanAllah. So 
that's my question to the, the Christian world. Do they have a concept that helps fra- fit all that's happening into a framework uh, for the end of times? Well, I don't want to speak for the Christian world because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm seen as uh, quite a controversial figure in that world. So th- just to put that out there, that I'm not a great represent, uh, representation of mainstream Christianity, but I think the return of Christ and all knees will bend is something that they uh, really look forward to. And um, I personally am not as end times motivated. I look at the daily fractal reality of what people say. Uh, I will say this, though. One of the most impressive prophecies of Mohammed was the airplane. You Mm -hmm. know, that's insane. Like, uh, my friend was reading me the description of the airplane, and that was was pretty cool. (laughs) You know, (laughs) but... uh, but yeah, I'm not, I'm personally, cause I, that, that's why I don't represent, you know, mainstream Christian thought, but I don't really think about the end times as much as, as maybe I should, but I just think more about the, the daily fractal reality. We're like, if you live in a certain way, mm-hmm. uh, what is your life like? Like, are, yeah. do you feel blessed? Do you see the fruit? Do you have mm-hmm. the, the, and the, I would say like one of the greatest prophecies of Islam and Christianity, if it's followed properly, is just the resistance to the evil you see right now, you know? And I know some hardcore Christian nationalists that really respected watching Qatar not buckle to globo homo, as we like to call it. And that was a big bridge, like to see resistance, to see men with the ability of saying um, no, is to me, incredibly validating for somebody's religion because everything else is just words. You know, it's like if you have the ability of, you know, and I, and some of my British listeners um, have gotten, you know, they don't like mass migration, but I always tell them that's not Islam. That's mass migration. That's like saying Mexicans coming into Texas is a Christian invasion. It's like a rhetorically inaccurate thing. Yeah. But one thing they will say is the most hands-on anti-LGBT parents are the Muslim immigrants. And that's powerful. And so yeah. for your listeners, that is that does work on people that uh, could normally hate you. Um, actually really respect when you do that. Like when you have the ability of withstanding uh, and standing against the abuse of children and the um, the grooming of children, and you stand up publicly for that, that's really powerful. And I think that that is a, uh, a really solid uh, statement to your faith. There's been a couple of things that altered the relationship between Muslims and conservatives in the middle of the country. So there was already a preconceived notion. There was the first Iraq war. Then there was some bombings that happened uh, in, I think, Kenya, right? And then there was uh, a USS Cole was bombed. Then finally 9-11 was, happened. And that basically put a massive line between conservatives and Muslims, which is why Muslims, they went to, to, to seek refuge more with the left, who were more sympathetic. Uh, the Qatar World Cup, in my opinion, it tied Islam to a global sport. It's very hard to sell that all these people are terrorists anymore, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it totally put, like, bleach on that. So then 
recently, this summer, this June, all the opt-out marches also really got on people's radar and started making, all right, the middle of middle American conservatives say, hold on a second. We can benefit from this. Not only are they no longer the terrorism thing sort of waned away, but also we like this. We can benefit and, you know, they got a result, right? So where do you see the future of the general conservative middle of the country and Muslims going in the future? That's a, that's a good question. I think that the truth around 9-11 and stuff like that has definitely helped middle America Islamic relations. I mean, I know some dudes that fought in those wars and they're now extremely sympathetic to um, Islam because they realized a lot of it had to do with poppies and their weapons of mass destruction was gold-backed money. And, you know, but it, for, for a while, we couldn't have even conceived of that. You yeah. know, this is the interesting thing about uh, conservatives, quote unquote, is a lot of them, the, the resistance to Islam is because I think a lot of them want to keep their pornography and <laughs> their, their metrosexual lifestyles. I think, mm. I think Islamic practice is the actual conservatism in America. And so, and, uh, and, you know, I know Christians that are like that too. I'm not going to discount, uh, Christians that are do that, but if you look at mainstream conservatism, like, you know, like a Dave Rubin is a gay man, quote unquote, married to a man who adopted little boys. Like that would be seen as so extreme on the left 15 years ago Yeah. that I don't, um, you know, I, I, I just think that that's, that's a situation that's happening. And I think that um, the future belongs to those who have kids and who show up and who work hard. And I think that is, you know, the Islamically in America, they're having more kids. Same with a lot of the Mormons, you know, like uh, whoever has kids and works hard and stays out of debt and, and, and stays away from sin will win regardless of what people feel or want. You know, and I see that in the billionaire quote unquote elite class a lot is they end up with no kids or no mm. grandkids. So their bloodline's dead and yeah. Oh, it was all for nothing. It was all sand. And that's why, uh, you know, this obsession with money and status and stuff like that is really all for the, it's all for the birds. Yeah. Uh, it's something that's going to lure you. It's almost as if the blessing of wealth uh, takes away from the blessing of kids and you end up with the more impoverished nations within a couple decades. They're more populous than you. More populous yeah, yeah. nations yeah, yeah. have better economies. Right. Um, exactly. You mentioned some extreme case of a conservative who, who is gay married guy. But uh, in the conservative world, is there is pornography? Is there something clear in the Bible that talks about the sinfulness of something like pornography? Uh, uh, what's it called? Culturally, it's a problem for right wing Christian America. It's a huge problem. And so. That's why it's one of the main things I speak against. And when I toured in the Middle East, I was in Iraq, Kuwait, Oman, all this, uh, performing for the troops. This is like 15 years ago. Mm. And when I was trying to access, I used to like watch a lot of pornography and now I don't at all because I realize it's a, a trap. But I tried to look at it on my phone and it was banned. And I remember getting so mad. And then later when I saw the trap of it, I realized that how powerful that is. And that's why I keep trying to ask I keep trying to uh, bring that into the conversation of like, when are we going to ban porn? Like, when mm -hmm. are we going to stop treating our women like prostitutes, you know? 
And so that's a very, very powerful thing that Muslims should really hold on to. Not that I need to tell you guys that, but that's why I did that really viral tweet about showing uh, a, uh, a billboard in Hollywood of like a basically naked woman. I don't know if you saw that tweet of mine, but it got like millions of impressions. Hmm. And under it was like uh, a message to Iran about burning your burqa or something. And I, and I did a tweet like, hmm. don't go down this road because yeah. right now this is where it goes. Like that is not to enslave you. It is to protect you. Yeah. And you know, like there are images of, of women in these really hot looking things that do look kind of crazy, but from a Western perspective, but it, it's good. It's good to cover your body. It's like that, that, that protection isn't to, again, I know that the, the whispers of the demons will tell you like, Oh, they're just trying to keep you down. You should be an airline pilot. You should have, <laughs> like, you should do all these things. I'm telling you guys, like, as in, I've watched this happen in 20 years, it, it, it's gotten so bad that like, oh, like, uh, it's a normalized thing in America now to, uh, to sell your body on, on only fans for money, you know, and it's, they're all on pills. They're all alone. They're sad. Like a woman's strength is her family. And so it was funny doing that tweet. Cause I was basically warning the Islamic world, like, <laughs> no, like this is what comes of this. Like you will see your sister on a billboard naked if you start listening to this stuff. So I think, um, um, pornography, I think is blatantly outlawed in the Bible, but it, it isn't clear. And one thing I've always challenged Christians to do is kind of come up with a uh, laws. That's why I always like to promote Sharia law. I'm like, that's a set of laws with a moral compass. Like, don't just get mad at it. If you have problems with it, which thing do you have a problem with? And what would be your law based on the Bible? And, and the whole, uh, and, and I think that's very important. And Jesus in the Bible said he wasn't here to overthrow the law. You know, that's another big misconception is you have ideas like he would know sin cast the first stone, but then they don't really explain it. And I was raised Catholic as a kid. They, they intentionally don't explain it. That the next part is, and now rise and sin no more. Like what Jesus was doing was he was in a very sinful culture trying to help people choose to get away from it because you couldn't force it on people. Like you can't just mm -hmm. force Sharia law on people. They have to want it, you know? Yeah. And so to teach people how to like not sin so that they can start building a culture where that's seen as crazy and you can actually punish it was what he was doing. He wasn't saying, oh, we all are full of sin, so let's just all sin. Like yeah. that's literally Satanism. Yeah. So now, that's my thoughts on that. So let me ask you this. You talked about what your impresses you is a visible, a visible uh, individual or family-based uh, behavior, right? That, yes. that this is what uh, works and that you're, sh you're demonstrating this. But it has to be that there's a driving force behind that, which takes the leap from the anecdotal, what my eyes are seeing, this is good, to the rational or intellectual, which is the theological aspect of things, right? right. So that's where that's where the leap is, and that's where you you, you got to have a driving force behind this. And the driving force, let's say, uh, let's say in a Muslim culture, a practicing Muslim culture, there's a lot of Muslims that don't they don't practice their religion, right? But in a practicing Muslim culture, when we sit together and say something is forbidden, right, it is absolutely irrelevant whether or not you know how bad the result is. Because the verse is right in front of your eyes, 
And the word has one possible meaning, right? It's explicit, which is, and, and what's, the, what's the root of that? The root of that is that you believe that this book has come down from God as a revelation mm. to the prophet. So it has to, the anecdotal is linked to the theological, right? Yeah. It, it, if, if the theology isn't there, the actual faith and belief, this is God's word discussion over there's paradise here and heaven here, right? And then you got to water that plant of belief. Now that plant of belief, you got a brain, you got to you make sure that it settles with the mind that yes, the prophet did speak the truth. It's not just a transmitted myth, right? Which goes to the like studying the chain of transmission, what we call the chain of transmission to ensure this is actually what the prophet said. No one messed with it. No one altered it. And this is why I believe in God and his prophet. So that's the theology that uh, we find to be the most important root of all this is that investigation, that theological investigation, right? Now, here's my question. The conservatives who tend to have a sympathetic view towards Muslims or a friendly view towards Muslims, right? They seem to really be impressed with the result, but very unwilling to study the theology. Or yeah. they haven't made that connection yet. Like Muslims do not get a result because they're smart, because they planned this. I remember, what's his name? Uh, PBA? What's the guy's name? Uh, Patrick the, Bet David. Yeah, him. He said, Muslims are really smart. They do this, this, and this. And I'm like, no. Muslims do not do any of these things. There was no room, boardroom, where we made this plan. No planning is happening. It's just individual Muslims. They get the verse. They believe in it. They see the verse. They practice it. Multiply that by a million. Then you get the result. That's a really good point. Yeah. So that's a, the, the question is, like, the conservatives, they, they like the result, but there's not yet that introspection of the source of the result. So yeah, it's kind of how like I was the, raised, too. It's like I was raised like my father was a professor and I was raised uh, in a very reason-based, pragmatic, utilitarian way. And I do have that way of thinking. And you're absolutely right. I was talking to a friend about that. Uh, it's probably a weakness of mine where I think, well, what are the results? And if you're motivated by the results, you're probably not even going to get the results. That's the irony about mm. it, that that you're right, like underneath the, the tip of the iceberg is the, the belief, the faith, the, the theology. And so, yeah, I can, I can admire it and I can see that and not necessarily feel it on the level that um, is creating such fruit. I have faith in God. I see, you know, I have a deep faith in God and I, and I have an admiration for um, religion that, that quote unquote works. But the reason it works is because of faith. I, I totally see the point you just made. But it, it is how my mind works, and that's why I think it's cool to uh, to raise children with with faith. And I think that one of the aspects of Christianity that I think is an unspoken weakness is the acceptance of translations and King James. And so, like I've made fun of King James at all. I mean, the guy looked like a fruitcake, you know. And so it's like, <laughs> and so it's like if you have a more valid you know, I was a historian in college. And I really take history seriously, like primary source documents, secondary source documents. When you have a, as you say, transmission, it's almost like in, a, in law, the chain of custody. Like, who had their hands on it? Did anyone put some poison in the soup, you know? Yeah. And so if you can get a good chain of custody that looks the most logical, it allows people to have more faith in it. Yeah. I don't have a ton of faith in... 
uh, documents because I wasn't raised with it. And it's it's like habits and culture that I do think um, is an issue in a, in a lot of American culture and a lot of Western culture because, you know, there is a hubris and a self-righteousness to say, well, prove it to me, you know? Yeah. Um, and I realized that, like, I'm not God. I didn't create myself. So, so for me to say, like, oh, I get to, like, you know, prove it to me. But that's how it, it's, it's just weird. It, culturally, it's how I was raised. I wasn't raised with, you know, being raised Catholic, you don't have, you don't even have faith in the Bible at all. You're supposed to listen to a guy in a robe, you know, that, but no kids who definitely just picked that job because he sucks at life. Like that's, and you're like, <laughs> and you got to eat a cracker with, that's flat. Like all the practices, me and my brother used to just laugh. Like we, we never got super into it because it was like, this cracker is Jesus' body. We're like, nah, dude, we just saw you open the box of crackers. Like, <laughs> like I know for a yeah. fact that isn't someone's body. Yeah. And so uh, that's created this like lack of faith. And you know, like what you were just saying, like the results, I, I'm, I'm in nature all the time. Like I'm always home. I like, I farm, I have no doubt. Like I really try to live a way that's the most nature-based way. Yeah. And it's almost like the vibration of a bee just makes a hive without intention. And they're like the mm -hmm. most perfect uh, shapes. You know, you look at ants, you look at all these things and, uh, and it's just the, 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 their overall vibration. You could almost call it faith creates these giant structures around them. And you have like the inverted faith, like the faith in the material, the faith in, in yourself as God will create these like horrifying postmodern apocalyptic structures and so, yeah, I see that because I used to think that way about a certain small hand group that we don't need to talk about, <laughs> where I thought that they all had this like meeting and cabal and all this. And the more I look at it, the more I, I don't think so. I think it's like their way of looking at the world culturally is just creating these structures. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it's the same with a lot of uh, Muslims. Like it's like the way that the, the way their faith is oriented, the way their internal world is oriented it just starts creating this and it's, and it creates vast wealth, like, but the good wealth, you know, the good, like, um, uh, non-usury based wealth, mm -hmm. uh, isn't bad, you know, like wealth, um, is only bad if it's replacing the wealth of like family, you know, but yeah. you can theoretically be incredibly rich and blessed, you know, yeah. it's just, it just can't be that parasitic upside down material wealth. it has to be like in service to community, you know what I mean? And yeah. God. And that's that the that real and good wealth, it tends to grow slowly. Yeah, yeah, tends, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. without sacrificing anything and not leaving a, 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 a body bags like emotionally behind you. Like you exactly. divorce your wife, your daughter hates you, all that type of stuff. So I love that analogy that the, these ants are producing these things and they don't know they're producing it. Yeah. That one bee is just doing its job. They, there was no master plan to sit down and make this unbelievable honeycomb that you see. Every exactly. bee is just doing its job. So when you look at the prophet, peace be upon him, did not make, there's not, you cannot find certain statements on the prophet of what is Islam's plan? What is the <laughs> right, political right, right. plan, right? Yeah. What the prophet did is he just rectified every, he gave you individual rectification advice and he lived it. And his companions watched him live it. They lived it. They transmitted it to their kids. And Islam spreads as a religion of the simple individual. Then the family unit has its rules. Then you and your neighbor have its rules, right? 
and so on and so forth. So wherever you throw these people out, wherever these people are sprinkled and do what they're supposed to do, some form is going to take place that's admirable. That yeah, and I think the that result. there's uh, this is a more controversial claim. I've said this before, and uh, people spiral a little bit. But I think Thomas Jefferson was greatly influenced by Islam, and uh, mm. I think it also because Islam matches very well with uh, agrarian lifestyle. So does actual Christianity, and I don't want to sound like like the whole no true Scotsman guy that's judging yeah. people, but like you know that's why Jefferson rewrote the Bible and took out um, took out Paul. <laughs> And took wow. out, you know, because uh, and and in uh, in Thomas Jefferson's temple room in Monticello is the Quran, you know, so it's pretty mm. undeniable. I mean, he had issues with uh, with uh, some Muslims in the Philippines and blah blah blah, but overall, he established like a lot of the United States, the Declaration of Independence, is about the the difference between public and private and all this stuff. It seems heavily influenced mm. by. Uh, by uh, you know the the governmental structure because one thing that Muhammad did that Jesus did not do is set up a government yeah. like a like a structure that you can actually function in and so when the founding fathers were setting up America I think that it's pretty obvious that there was a heavy influence because uh, the Quran was a major uh, book in the 18th century in England. Because if you're trying to shape a government of wealth and a prosperity, it's like even if you're doing it in a utilitarian way, I don't know if you had faith in Islam necessarily, but you have to look at that. Like you have to look at how the Medina was reshaped and how th that, you know, the Islamic empire, it's not really taught in Rockefeller public schools in America, but it was so mm. wealthy and so vast that if you don't analyze like how that functions and how the courts function and how you know, like the, the rules of private versus public, which I think are great. That's one thing that drew me to Sharia law as a uh, structure is uh, public versus private. Like you have a right to bring your kids out in public and not see pornography. Like what you do in your home is between you and God, but you can't bring this in public because yeah. as a citizen, I have a right to raise my children in innocence. Mm -hmm. And so that's something I find awesome about Islam. And so it's like, if you want to, you know, be disgusting in your home, like we're not going to kick in your doors or anything, but like, you can't bring it out. You can't keep teach it there. It. Right. Keep it, keep it. It's there. all about, you're not allowed to teach it. Like if you want to have Santa Claus come down your chimney and kiss in the mistletoe and all these like strange um, practices, that's fine, but you can't do it in public. And so America actually has that in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. Uh, or at least it, it started that way, and, and it's just slowly kind of eroded. But the whole thing is that public indecency is in our law codes, and it's just, that's why media is so important and why the, uh, the, the, the quote-unquote ruling elite are so obsessed with harnessing media and consciousness because a law is only a law if you believe in it, like what, what yeah. you were just talking about with faith. And so if you look at it, like sodomy was considered a mental illness in America when I was a kid. It's like so recent that this no nosedive is happening. I think a lot of it has to do with the mind-blowing ability to shape consciousness on the internet and yeah. why I was so banned without, I've never done a call to violence. I've never been arrested. I've never, you know, I have a great marriage. I'm like liked in my community. And so what was, and then they'll, they'll put like complete murderous criminals on you know, Applebee's commercials. I'm like, <laughs> so what is it? And it's because they're threatened by the conscious awareness 
And, you know, because I think we're born, another thing that separates me from mainstream Christianity is I don't believe in original sin. So it's like, and neither did my mom. Like when I was baptized, she called it entrance into Christian community because she said a baby is born without sin. And that's an Islamic practice. And so um, I think that we have a draw to go back to God, like to go back to the truth. And if that that's what the, the matrix is, this false reality that they put us in where we're like, oh, it's good to be evil. Like it's good to do these terrible things. But then when you're, when you're presented with another alternative, you like feel that you want to go back to it, you know? Yeah. And so uh, that's why I, uh, yeah, yeah. That's my thoughts on that. So I want to uh, make a comment and, and hear your reaction to it, but I'll, and then I want to ask you a question. So, so two more things. I don't want to hold you up too much, too, too much. I know it's just the morning getting started there. But uh, the first comment is that when we talked about how the Islamic empire produced an a great amount of wealth and it had all these results. And if you're founding a country, it would behoove you to examine how previous nations kept it for so long. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, important things is that the prophet, peace be upon him, when a when the prophet comes down and teaches us, it's so important not just to have the lesson, but to see all the bad reactions and how does the prophet handle this, right? So that when you go down the path of wealth, let's say, or nation building, you must eventually be prepared to go into the field of battle. There's going to be a conflict. I'm a righteous Muslim and my employee is sort of ripping me off. He's not working hard enough. Is it merciful to fire him? Right? Or should I feel guilty? So in religious examples, this is why the, we believe that the prophet Jesus, his message came to complete Moses' message because Moses led people, right? Moses owned things. He had, mar he had a marriage. He had children. Prophet Jesus, we say that in his first coming, did not have those things. So that cannot be the example. If I'm an entrepreneur, I want to be a righteous God-fearing multimillionaire, right? How do I do it? Jesus did not do that. His disciples didn't do that, all right? So I got to, we need a bigger example. So that originally, Jesus was supposed to be in the context of all the Hebrew prophets. So I said, okay, David was a, was, was, was a king. Solomon was the richest man on earth and was the most beloved to God simultaneously. So that's what the, so the comment is that the, uh, when you have an example, you can't just have a good example. You need to see the conflict. How does that prophet engage in conflict? So righteous conflict is something that exists. And that's where what you said, a man, you have a priest who doesn't marry. Well, how do you know how to handle a conflict then? How do you know how to raise a kid then? How are you an example? And that's hearkening back to the first thing I said earlier is that when the Christianity ran the country, right? But it didn't give an example to J.D. Rockefeller. What is the, he, he was re, really religious, right? But J.D. Rockefeller was, he was a hardcore re, religious guy. But where was his example of a billionaire? Like, how does he relate to Jesus? How does he relate to the priests or the whatever uh, leaders? And that's the point where in what is, what the Islam also gives us is the example of, of all the, unspiritual things that happen in life and how to navigate them righteously. So, you know, if you have anything to add to that. No, it's a really good point. I mean, how to navigate, like how to put it into practice because, um, 
that's what a lot of us are now facing because now it, it appears like there's this collapse situation happening and um i don't know if you've looked too into like what we do with bertaria where it's like we're trying to uh set up a decentralized uh trading ability and be able to do uh business with each other and keep it within our community and have mm -hmm. uh families and all this stuff like we have our own social media as i said earlier in our own magazine to promote our culture and all this stuff because I'm not looking to overthrow any government or overthrow anything or fight anybody, like honestly, but I am seeing that the future may be a rebuild. And so I love seeing examples of how someone does it because you're right, there is a whole thing. Like people say, Jesus, King of Kings, but it's like, where in the New Testament is there an example of how to actually be a king of a country because mm -hmm. it's really difficult. And yeah. Even just running a small online community that we, we have meetups and we're decentralized, as I said, like the conflicts and the the way it has to be handled is so difficult that I think sometimes people like to slip into a quote unquote spirituality to avoid uh, the secular realities of, yeah. of, of like trade routes and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and as much as people can like mock the Jews or get mad at the Jews, like at least a lot of them are managing the banking sector, which is hard, you know? And I'm trying to like, you know, my, my, my farm stand accepts silver. Like that's my little, uh, uh, my little, uh, uh, what's it called? Just the smallest thing I can possibly do to try and get around fiat currency. Mm -hmm. But, uh, it's very, very difficult. So, you know, to see somebody start a functioning country is powerful. And, uh, and I think that's to be looked at and I don't yeah. think it's to be feared at all, you know, cause some people, it's almost like they view studying Islam as cheating on their wife or something where it's just, I see that in, uh, in, in some Christians where as soon as I bring up a, a hadith or a teaching or something, um, they freak out like, and, but yet I can bring up Harry Potter, no problem, you know? And it's like Harry yeah. Potter, like, you know what I'm saying? Where it's like. <laughs> So are you really this purist that can only hear uh, yeah. uh, the Bible, but yet we can all watch Succession on HBO together? Like, <laughs> what is this? Like, so you can't look at, like Islam is so similar to the teachings of Christianity, but you can't look at any of the wealth. Like there's this Hadith that my friend was telling me about, and I don't even know if it's a Hadith, but um, it's a lesson that is taught about the fall. No, it's not a Hadith. I don't know. But it's the fall of uh, of uh, Iraq, or it's the fall of the uh, the empire of of Islam when these like horse archers are coming in, and they were just slaughtering like one woman could slaughter like fifty guys in a house, and they were screaming like, "You have a gold plate, you have a gold plate. Why couldn't you get more warriors?" And so, to be taught the softness that comes from wealth, mm -hmm. and to hammer that into your children, because right now, as you can see, like. Um, the Saudi royal family and a lot of the Middle East is becoming super rich. And I think what they're facing is, so, you know, that that softness that can come from that. And so that lesson is crucial. And that lesson is crucial for Americans and Christian Americans, people that run businesses. Like what happens when you get so rich, you forget to lock the door, yeah. you know? Well, and there's and there's just dudes eating rats on horses that can slaughter your whole family if you don't stay <laughs> focused. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's amazing. You should read um, a little bit of the history of the of Andalus, and Andalus and the Islamic West faced this two times. They became extremely wealthy, 
an extremely fine art into the fine arts, and they dis- they became too um, too elite to follow the strict codes of the Sharia, and they fell into this. So wine drinking, we turn a blind and not turn a blind eye, things like that. They start turn a blind eye. They became corrupted mess. Yeah, the Christians came in and started defeating them. Yeah, exactly. So, right now, the Islamic uh, uh, scholars of the East discovered that there were these nomadic Bedouin-like people who started to learn Islam, right? That's awesome. These guys were fighters. So the first group, they're called the Murabits, Al-Muravids in English. They came up and they pushed back the Crusaders and went back home. So the famous Imam Ghazali wrote them a a ruling. He said, "If if the Christians come back, you are obligated to go and conquer Andalus and rule it. Now, here's the thing. All they had was your basic Islamic law book, right? They were not super scholars, but they had studied for one generation Islamic law. That taught them how do you run a court? Who can be a judge? How do you run a military, right? Uh, Who's responsible if something goes wrong in the country? You had people who were one generation earlier, absolute Bedouins. But because they learned the law book, right, uh, in a very basic capacity, they were able to run a country and run not only a country, a civilization, right? Andalus is something here. They were coming from the borders of Mauritania, Mali, and Senegal down here. But because they had the law book, they were able to manage it. And this happened twice. Then they ruled... And Andalus, the wealth of Andalus over 100 years got to their heads. They became corrupt. Exactly. And another group came in and did the same thing, mopped up. They mopped them up, and, re- and because they had the law book, I'm telling you, I think I'm sitting here with a room of uh, about se- seven guys, right? I think we could actually, because we study, right? If you gave us Rhode Island right now, we could run it, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, and it's merciful. That's the thing. It's yeah. almost like uh, it's the David and Goliath story where it's like you, are, you, you beat the giant with the blessing, which is following the law. So it's yeah. like it's so fascinating to see. And the same, a similar thing happened to Rome where they got so corrupted and so secular that the Germanic tribes took them, and it was like merciful. It yeah. was like... It's not even like quote unquote conquering. It's almost like, I don't know. I like that because we're going to see more and more of that where you're seeing like uh, people that desperately need structure, you know, and they're, they're, they're just like falling at their own addictions. And so that's why money doesn't win wars. Like I was, yeah. I was saying this years ago and people said I was crazy. I'm like, dude, Afghanistan's the new Switzerland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you look at it, it's like, okay, Switzerland used to be warriors and mountainous and poor and hardcore Christians, and they could beat anybody. And now you have Afghanistan beat, you know, the great Goliath of America with like, you know, rifles and stuff. And just by, by not consenting. And if you look at where it's situated, like as the world's wealth shifts, you have the mountainous region right in an area where you have the Indian population, China's manufacturing, Russia's resources. And you're like, that's that's the new Switzerland. And mm-hmm. so as the West falls into indulgence, and it's so interesting because the, the money and the positions and the aircraft carriers, they really don't matter. It's like 
Yeah. If you, if they're just being driven by a bunch of transsexuals on meth, it's like, <laughs> they can't shoot straight, you know? Yeah. They, <laughs> and that's the whole David. They're not going to last. Part. If this oh, thing, no, no, no. if it draws out, you're going to be so depressed. You're just going to want to put your hands up. Right. And, and I've, I, I walk down this, we go to Manhattan, we go to places and I just say to myself, these people need conquering. We they can do. teach you how yeah. to live, right? You might not, you may be kicking and screaming, but give it six months, you'll be thanking us, right? Like yeah, if we like had- a conquering benevolent, con- well, yeah. let's just reframe it real quick because like I talk about how slavery is an evil, so I reframed it to uh, builder buddies because like Hollywood's made the word <laughs> slavery sound so insane. Like conquering sounds like death. So when yeah. someone hears conquering, they think, oh, you're going to get your crooked sword and, you know, kill me. No, 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 no. Imagine a world where it's restructured. Mm-hmm. where like it's everyone isn't dying of fentanyl. You know, it's like it's like that's what's killing people. What's killing people is their own indulgence. Like imagine if there was like, a, you know, like a business sector that wasn't just this like malevolent you know, gross beast that makes everyone poor. That's why the Islamic empire got so rich and, and various empires in Christendom have gotten so rich is when you follow, you know, God's law for money, gold, silver, and then how you, you Im- implement business, you get rich slow, but when you get rich, you get super rich. In mm-hmm. this upside down fiat world, you get rich real fast, but then when you get poor, you get real poor and like real fast. And you're going to want people that know how to run a court. And the American court system is pretty good. It just, it's just been corrupted. It's just been like handled, you know, it's just been handled by people that, that, you know, they, they're just too indulged. It's like, so what it really means is we can be drunk all day. And, and you're like, no, dude, mm-hmm. you're losing your edge. And so I think with the word conquer, it, it's not about like, like force as much as it is just a restructuring because, because, you know, I think a lot of the West has become hyper emotional. So like these, cause I trigger people all the time. So I have to always think about like what a word means to people. Yeah. Yeah. So like a restructuring sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Same with with, what you said about slavery. If you look at it from the Islamic context, what is the origin of slavery? The actual origin of slavery is a nation coming to try to kill you? The, their army's trying to kill you, right? So you took them captives. You had the moral right to kill them. But there is now another option. I take you prisoner. I can kill you as a prisoner right then and there on the spot. And, and nobody has any moral qualms with that because you were just trying to kill me. Yeah. Or I could actually benefit from you because you have skills. So when what Islam come, does not come and promote uh, slavery, it came to give it some kind of softness because it's not going anywhere and to, to give it some kind of rules. You cannot abuse, you can't whip, you can't do all these things, you can't starve him, you can't hit him, you, you, but you can benefit from him because he was trying to kill you. You can sell him, right? So he came with those things. So it's not like, so the word slavery also, like you said, people get triggered. We have to just give them the idea that's what... Um, slavery was that's the origin of it and that's the morality behind it you were trying to kill me right so for me to benefit from your skills is mercy to you and me it's also debt it's like and you can become a slave because you're so in debt and then you can get out of slavery it's like 
I'm against racial based slavery, obviously, you know, like because Hollywood's made it like, oh, if you like if you're OK with slavery, that means uh, you're race like you. You think black should be slaves or something. No, no. Like people don't realize they're already slaves financially, like 13 years of slave. Uh, I, that that jo the joke I did about it is I was like, I thought that student loans, you know, it's like <laughs> it's like they already have a mechanism of slavery that you can't get out of. And they put yeah. you in a little cube. And so if you look at the Islamic slave codes and how like the slave is uh, gets to eat the same quality of food as the master and stuff like that, it's actually a better system mm -hmm. than the current system. And you're right. It's like when you're you, when you're at war, you can either just execute everybody or, you know, keep them alive, allow them to possibly get out of slavery, have a family. Can they follow your rules? If they can't follow your rules, then they might have to go. But, you know, it's like, can they be reshaped? Because a lot of... Uh, the citizenry in war is fairly innocent. So if you're yeah. shooting at someone, they have a right to shoot back at you. If you're captured, they might just be, you know, a peasant. Like they're not yeah. evil, you know? It's yeah. like, like look at Americans. Like America has been a part of so many of these disastrous wars. And if you, and if you take the average American, like, are they evil? No. It's like, would they, are they like, yeah, we have to go get all the opium in Afghanistan. No, a lot of Americans, myself included, thought that there really was this thing called terrorism and they were trying to kill us. And so mm -hmm. as that spell falls apart, you're like, oh my God, it's because the Taliban wouldn't sell their opium. Like that's seriously what that was about. Yeah. And most <laughs> Americans wouldn't sign on to that. And yeah. that's why they do these spells because like the best warriors in America would not go kill people for opium. I mean, yeah. that's, it's like crazy. Mm -hmm. That's how you get your real low grade bad <laughs> soldiers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me close with this. And I thank you for your time. Uh, and it's been a nice discussion. Um, I want to close with a question. We talked about a lot of things that we find in common and you were, uh, talked about a lot of things that you found interesting and admirable in Islam. Now, let me ask the opposite. Now in the conservative world that you're in, in Idaho with the people that you're around, um, I want to sort of know like where, what is their biggest, you know, thorn in their view from Islam? Like, what is it about it that they don't find, they find that they could never survive with this? I think it has to do with mass migration. I don't think it has to do with Islam at all. I think it has to do with what people perceive it's tied to. Yeah. Where it's like, they perceive that Islam means everybody around you is going to be from Senegal, you know? Mm -hmm. And that you're not going to be able to culturally survive, you know? Yeah. And so... That's one of the biggest uh, mind thorns when it comes to Islam, because most people have not, you know, because it's all about rhetoric. So it's like the, the Mexican invasion from the South are never called Christians. Yeah. You know, they're always called Mexicans, you know. Mm -hmm. But yet when they come, when when you have like Middle Easterners, they're called Muslims. And so I always can spot I can spot tricks. Yeah. Because I know several like super white Caucasian Muslims, like it's not a race, you know, and so that's probably one of the biggest things is people feel threatened that they will be um, overpopulated, you know, that they and the irony is I told people I'm like, if you followed Islam, you would actually get a bigger population like that's the, the funniest irony ever. Yeah. Is if a white family was Islamic, they would yeah. have way more white kids. <laughs> I'm like, the reason yeah. they're replacing you is because they have a bunch of kids because they're not like raging gay guys, you know? And, and, 
and marriage for us mainly marriage happens i can't maybe speak for everybody but in the main marriage tends to happen locally if you have a strong yeah, yeah. local population i would say seven out of ten women will marry a local guy right if you have a big muslim population like why would you marry someone from another state like why would you marry like what what would that ha- how would that happen it would only happen if your population is not that big but once you yeah. hit a certain number the vast majority of community members will marry from within a generous range of miles because that's who the family knows we already know their family why would why, why would i bring a stranger in our in our house when we have these people right here right so uh, it's a very locally driven popula- uh, uh, religion. It's, it's, you, you end up living a very s- strong local life. And that's uh, where the power is. That's why yeah. you guys are, are gaining power, which is good. Because I, yeah. I, I'm just all about fair. Like, I'm just, I, mean, I, don't, I don't have a, a dog in a fight unless it's just whatever. That's why we like to say the good, the true, the beautiful. It's like, whatever's, whatever's fair and good and true, that's good. And that's why I was joking with somebody recently about race. I'm like, that's why it's called a race. Compete. Have more yeah. kids. You know? It's like, that's why I, uh, I, I love when uh, uh, Muhammad Ali was like, I love Muhammad Ali when he was like, bluebirds like bluebirds. He's like, I like my black woman. I don't want no Chinese woman. And, th- and this like, and this like kind of broken, cuckolded, British guy was like, oh, I find that to be full of despair. He's like, why? Because I don't want a woman like you. I want a woman that understands me. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's it. Like, why is like that's the funniest thing is I'm I am slightly racist, but I'm not a white supremacist. Like, I don't think whites are better than people. I just like that Japan exists and yeah. Afghanistan exists and like that the French like what they like. I, I like that. I like that people have their own thing. And then the world's a more beautiful place. Yeah. And, and so that's, I think that that's the main thing against Islam in America is its association with feeling like you're being replaced. Yeah. And the irony is that if more people lived like Muslims, they would have bigger families and they wouldn't be getting, yeah. because the, the thing is, is America does like there is a lack of labor because people used to have, five kids and now they have one kid. And so Mm -hmm. who's going to pick the berries, you know? And so then you have to bring in people that are willing to live simply and have a lot of kids. And those people will inherit your wealth. Like that's, that's a fact it's already happened. It's just like only a matter of time. And then once you get the wealth, your real struggle happens. Like, can you keep the faith? Like, can you not become your own God in your Mm -hmm. head and then end up conquered by the next people that can do it? Yeah. Islam, it promotes this indigenous, it promotes, a localized and indigenous culture wherever it goes. That's awesome. Uh, and, and it doesn't require you to to um, break out of that, right? So that's why there are three guys out there, three friends of mine, who you may come across, right? And if you're ever interested to talk to them, I, we can arrange for One of them is in Oklahoma, and he's, his channel is called The Revival of Man, right? He's, he's a Norwegian, and he broke away from his family when he, they converted. He, they cut him off. But he's a Norwegian-American. So uh, the Revival of Man is the name of his channel now, right? Uh, then there's another one who surprised a lot of people because he called his channel the Muslim Cowboy. And he wears a cowboy hat, and he's got a big beard. And he dressed like a, like a regular Southern guy. He's from Texas. He's from a well-off family in Texas. And when he goes back to his community, it's exactly so very similar to what you said. They think that he's been foreignized. 
like he's adopted a foreign culture where he, he has adopted some, he's a religion and some of the culture, but his, the point of that, he calls it the Muslim cowboy is to show everybody. I'm actually the continuation of the original Texan culture. I'm going to continue it to show, just to prove the point that Islam isn't erasing these things. So we call this channel, the Muslim cowboy. And it's interesting what he has. And he's always arguing heavily with the Protestant uh, guys, but, um, but that's the exact reason is he's, he's trying to prove that he's that's not erasing that. The other guy is Rob DeFour. I can't remember what his his organization's called, but he's the opposite. He's Canadian. He's way up north, and he's also bringing this thing where I'm a Muslim, but I'm not no longer I'm not erasing my Canadian heritage here, right? And he says he we talked a lot about what if what if we had a uh, a, a nation that where like we could have or a conference or a meeting, we could have a conference of Latino Muslims. No one would have a problem, right? Let's all, we're all Latino converts. No one would have a problem. If we came, we said we have a black imams forum, imams who are African-American, we're going to discuss our issues. So he then asked me, and he knows, right? He knows there's going to be a problem. He said, what if I said a white convert conference, right? I said, what would be wrong with that? Right. The, the, what would be wrong with that? Because you have your own issues, right? That relates yeah. to your culture. The wrongness is the imagination of superiority. Right. And exactly. ex, like excluding people, making people feel left out. That's what the wrong is, right? So it was an interesting conversation. Uh, do you have anything else that you'd like to bring to the table? No, I could talk about this all day because it's so, it's so interesting to me because yeah. it's like uh, – I got to go soon, though, obviously. But that point you just made, like about how uh, is, isn't one of the guarantees of Islam, like your your culture, like your your uh, family lineage, as long as you don't think you're better than other people. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah you're supposed like to love the, the prophet said he loved uh, his tribe or he loved his lineage. Yeah, right? exactly. Like yeah. like it's so it's so ironic because so many Christian nationalists are like afraid to even talk that way, but they want it and. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, Islam literally guarantees that. Like, you have a right to your people. You mm -hmm. just can't say that your blood means you can kill other blood, which yeah. I'm all about. Like, I don't want that. So, it's yeah, it is super interesting. When people call it a foreign religion, I mean, so is Christianity, technically. The only, you know, the American religion would be Mormonism or Scientology or something like that. Like, <laughs> those are actually made in America. It's like, yeah. or NASA. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. But anyway, man, thanks for having me. Uh, no, thank you. It's been a great chat. Uh, anytime you want to come on and talk about Islam, we can we can talk. And if you want to ever meet some of these other guys that are in your neck of the woods, uh, between you know in the uh, uh, central area in the more open lands uh, of America, uh, I can connect you with those guys. So thanks for coming on, and you know look forward to maybe talking again in the future. Absolutely, man. All right, peace. Thanks. Uh, take care. All right, everyone, there you have it. Um, how do you guys think it went? Good. We brought up, yeah, the guy, he, he's, he had a lot of good things to say. That's why I said, I'd listen, I don't want this just to be, you know, totally just um, agreeing, which is good to agree, right? But I want to genuinely want to know what is it that they would have against Islam, Right. And one thing I didn't mention that I think that a lot of guys who are living the way he does, I want to be living nature. I want to have, um, you know, um, 
guidance in my life. I want my family to be together. They have that. We have something in Islam that those fathers would really like. I didn't want to go too long. But I wanted to say, listen, when you guys are living like this, and your daughter says, hey, I'm leaving, right? I love this family, but I also love Hollywood. I'm going to Hollywood. Right? What do you guys say? We have rules for this. We have mahram rules. We have marriage rules. We have something called al-wali, right? That it's not, that's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. That I, you raised you for 30 years, for 20 years. 20 years I raised you. 25 years you lived in this home. We protected you and raised you. You don't just get to turn that switch off and say, hey, goodbye. I love you guys. I'll, I'll write you. Uh, I'll text you. I'm going to Hollywood to pursue my dreams. I'm going to New York to pursue my dreams or whatever. We don't have that. And people think that that's um, something that it scares off like liberals. It scares off um, maybe like a feminist leaning to people. But th those are the rules. We have rules on how men can travel and rules of how women can travel. How men can live and how women can live. Because Allah said they're different. So they can't be treated the same. They're not going to have the same treatment. One has the potential to be abused. And one has the potential right, to be used and to be misled and is, is physically weaker. And the other has responsibilities. So where he's weak, we say get strong. Whereas if a woman has a weakness, we say stay as you are. You're not obligated to change your nature, right? Whereas for a man, he's, you have to change your nature. You can't be a 25-year-old and just living without any sense of responsibility, without any sense of growing up and, and, and working, right? So, uh, and even the man in the book, Rights of Parents, if a youth, a young man, can earn in his town and his parents say, I want you to live next to us, his mom and dad say to him, live next to us. Because we're old now, we want you to. We want you around. We need you around. He's obligated to observe that. He has to search for a job locally first. I'm telling you, this team—it's stable. It doesn't allow for this insanity. But this stability is a protection, right, from making mistakes. If the parent lets him travel, then he can travel. If he can't find a job locally, then he can also disobey them and travel. See, a lot of people talk about the obedience of parents. Last week, I gave the lecture on when it is allowed to disobey not not allowed when is it allowed and when is it obligatory to disobey your parents because they're two different things there's a time it's allowed to disobey your parents and the time it's wajib to disobey your parents now they're like wait wait tell us about what's wajib okay when is it obligatory when your parent is infringing upon your rights the rights of others that you owe rights to or the right of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the sharia well guess what they want to do now they want to study the sharia right they want to know what their rights are, right? So our Sharia, it's fair for everybody. Right? Parents have a lot of rights. Children have some rights, okay? And they're both given by Allah Ta'ala. There's no oppression here. So if you want to preserve a local community, that's what I, I suppose conservatives are supposed to be, right? You, you, we can teach you how to preserve it. Not, not we can teach you. Only Islam can preserve it. Because it needs the buy-in from the hearts of everybody. And only Allah can guide those hearts. And it needs a crisp, clear-cut law. What can I do? What can I do? And what's different upon? We can discuss that, right? So, alhamdulillah, I hope that, um, you know, the talk was beneficial and he seemed to be someone who was very close to nature. And, um, <clears throat> you know, you never know what's happening. I think the best, the best um, interaction 
with such people is to have many. Over the years, over the decades, they'll see the difference. They'll run into things that I believe that, you know, that they're in the Christian world or the Christian life or this the general belief, conservative and believing life, this has holes in it. Like, there's nothing that actually gives you security that you uh, with your kids. You have to work for it. For us, we'd say, we don't have to really work that hard. We just have to be good enough, nice enough, and put them in the position to receive the seed of Iman. Then the taqwa will do the rest, right? All right, let's take the Q&A here real quick before we wrap up. Clearly, we're not going to be able to get to what we wanted to do, okay, which was uh, the Ashura, but we'll do it Monday. There's no harm in doing it Monday. It'll have to be done just on the 9th or the 10th. Some comments here. Rob's channel is called Islam for Europeans, and he doesn't mean by that Europeans continentally. He means by that European-American, European, I guess, Canadians, whites, basically, because, yeah, because uh, that's what they are. And there was a speaker there. His name was Abdul Malik. You remember Abdul Malik, the fundraiser? I don't know if you guys know him. He used to fundraise for Siraj Wahaj. He's, he, so he says African-Americans and European-Americans. He said, I was talking to a European-American the other day, and I thought, like, a Norwegian immigrant or, like, a Swedish immigrant? I didn't know what he was talking. He said, oh, these European-Americans, like... I said, hold on, brother, where do you see these Europeans? I never see European immigrant, right? When was the last time you saw a Belgian walking around, right? <laughs> or a, a Swede walking around? He's like, no, 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 brother. I mean, whites, they originated in Europe. I was like, oh, that's another word. So uh, so he, he uses that term. All right, a couple Q&A, and then we wrap up for the day. We got a hectic and a busy Thursday today, which involves... Meetings, 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 then office hours, then class at 7 o'clock. Then Maghrib, break fast for those fasting uh, with a light break of fast of some samosas. And then we got uh, the adhkar, or night of remembrance of the Prophet Here's a question. Learning adab says, may a woman move out to live alone without a mahram. They want to experience independent living not far from home for a few months. No, by Sharia, technically, it's not allowed. I'm give you the rule. Maybe there are exceptions here and there. You have to see if you're an exception, but that's the rule. Dove permissible for weddings only. Yes, that's the Maliki position. The other madhabs, no. They open it up. The duff permitted all the time. Okay, and the Shafi'iyah even have discussion about the wind instruments. And the other madhab did qiyas from the duff to all percussionary instruments. Is it permiss permissible to work assisting in medical autopsies? Yes, it is. What is the reward of Ashura fasting? The removal of sins for a year. Okay. Any adhkar or dua to do tomorrow? Jamia af'al al-khayr wa qira'at al-Qur'an. What? Spending on your family. Okay. A specific hadith on that? Can you show some dhikr gatherings sometimes from your mosque? We can, inshallah, show some clips of that. What's the difference in meaning between salli and barik? Barik has to always has to do with increase, increasing something, increasing uh, uh, something that you already have, to bless it. Salah has the meaning that is, is greater than that. So there's baraka, there's rahma, mercy, that means something bad will come, soften it or eliminate it. 
there's all of these um, gifts that Allah gives. A salah is the combination of all of them. That's why it is the highest of all things. Okay, and that's why, for example, Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, he says, if salah means barakah, then it's redundant. If salah means rahmah, then it's redundant, right? So salah and rahmah and barakah must and salam must all have different meanings. Salam is known, avoid harm in the first place. Rahmah is known, hardship comes, soften it. Barakah is known, have khair, increase it. Karam is known, give you the khair in the first place. Salah, he said, is the combination of all these things. And that's why it is the greatest of all things. That's why the Prophet ﷺ is told in the Quran, Salli alayhim. Means, make dua for everything good for them. So, as salah is from Allah to his messenger ﷺ. All the khairat. Okay? And when we make salah on the Prophet ﷺ, we are pulling down from those khairat for us. And the salam to the Prophet is the personal greeting. Okay. It's personal as you personal greeting. And that's the meaning of as salah was salam. Okay. And salam also means avoidance of harm in the first place. Okay. So those are some of the different meanings. Is it better to fast both days before and after? No, just one of the two days. But if you were to do both, it doesn't harm you. What if a woman is divorced? Still impermissible to live alone? It's not not it's it's when she lives with her wali and leaves without a reason. Right? And of course, life we have these rules. Those are the rules. There can be exceptions to the rule. There can be a time where she can't live with her wali anymore. Firstly, the wali maybe he's so old, cannot protect her, for example, maybe. Cannot even provide for her. Maybe she's the provider for the wali. No. It's always the Sharia is desired to have the woman with her mahram, but sometimes she can't. There are we're not unaware that there are unique situations, right? But we don't change the rule to bend to unique situations. This is the rule. You may have a different situation, right? And you may be sinful in what you're doing too. Just because we're friendly and nice with people doesn't mean don't admit you're also sinful, right? Uh, it happens all the time with my friends, right? So when I first came, I said, "Oh, but." You can say Bismillah and eat at McDonald's and all these places. I say, no, it has to be slaughtered, right? People of the book, yes. If the person of the book slaughters, if I go to the Amish and the guy is right there wearing a cross, he's a people of the book, and he slaughters the cow, okay, that's where I'll say Bismillah on it and eat it because you slaughtered it, okay? So he said, so you're basically saying like that I'm doing something haram? said yeah you think i befriended you because you're a saint or you're a prophet i befriended you because you have more good qualities than bad but you also have bad qualities this is haram what you're doing right so uh it's okay to say to someone that what you're doing is haram and we're still friends you're not publicly promoting the haram right you're making a mistake right innocently making a mistake maybe out of ignorance now maybe you're stuck in some situations so i don't also it's not reasonable to say, okay, now that we know the ruling, tomorrow we got to change. Very few people have that strength, right? Very few people, right? Some people live with the, a little bit of cognitive dissonance. I know I'm not supposed to be doing it, but they don't have yet the quwa, the himma to change it, 
or they're not totally convinced by you either because they heard it from one person and they hear from 10 other people. No, you're fine. So they don't, it's not firmly established. All that you come to realize is the case when you're trying to promote and preach a law book. This is the law. There's no discussion. Yet at the same time, you live with people of different levels of certainty, different levels of himma, different levels of taqwa, and we're also trying to get along, right? There's not such a massive Muslim community, and it's not the way of da'wah and the way of the habayib that you only live with the people living 100% by the law. Then you're not going to have any friends, right? We live with everyone who has a goodwill towards Islam, towards the Muslim, comes to the masajid, trying to do their best. And there's a range. So you may be in that range, but I'm telling you what the law is, that's what we should aspire to. Okay. Like Hassan al-Basri said, if every person only teaches what they practice, nobody would teach anything. Because even if we were to be judged by the law book, you're going to find many misdemeanors. Okay. Many mistakes. Okay. You know, his brother is talking about this shirt. You know what this shirt was? It's a weird, there's a weird American Pacific Coast thing where guys, they wear, it's like a thobe, but it's so skinny. And it's cut all the way to the top, right? So it's a weird garment, but the beach guys wear it. I don't know why they wear it, but they wear it, right? So I saw the top and I bought it. But then when the whole thing came, it's a very weird garment. Yeah, so I was like, what am I going to do with this? It's like a long all the way down to the ground, but the sides are slit all the way up too. Like a shawarkamis. So I said, what am I going to do with this thing? I just left it there for weeks. Then I thought, hold on a second. Why don't I just cut it? I just cut it across, right? And I'll have someone sew the edges later. But that's how mostly we need shara'i shirts. It's like a long, this is like a long tunic, skinny tunic. Right? Weird. You can't wear it as a thobe. So just cut it across. So we need shara'i clothes, right? All the clothes, I've been complaining, the shirts, they're all like skin tight. Okay? I'm not even going to lie to you and say I'm not going to wear a skin tight shirt because it's form uh, revealing our form. Not many people have that much muscles that they're going to be a fitness to anybody, right? <laughs> but you have another set in your body that you don't want people to see. That looks terrible, right? People, they have stomachs, right? They look terrible in these clothes, right? It's skin tight, and he's got a stomach, right? I once saw a guy who was making fun of himself. He said, man, I, I need to lose weight. And his daughter tried to be nice to him. She said, Bubba, you're not fat. You just look pregnant. <laughs> his daughter. Right? But some guys, they you, you, you as a guy should not be wearing tight clothes. You... I could see if you are fit why you're tempted to wear tight clothes. Because you work so much, you want to show a little bit of it, right? But you're not that. You are someone who is unfit, okay? And yet still are wearing these tight clothes. So we need, like, more shara'i clothes. So I now buy anything that is wide, and if it's, like, a, a, a kameez or something, then I cut it. Right. If it's like way down to the way long, I cut it. I cut it a mid-length that's neither like short nor is it too long. Right, And you could wear it however you want to wear it. 
issue is like we have a lot of these brothers and sisters starting up like these clothing companies. Yeah. Like you know halal clothing, whatever. Mm-hmm. But then it's like the prices are insane. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. It's retail is a miserable so it's like business. I'll just go to H and M. Yeah. I just go to any old store and I'll cut their clothes. That's Same right. thing with the with the pants. I'm not wearing uh, cut up bottoms to be cool. I just cut the pants, right? Because <laughs> you know that everyone's wearing ripped clothes these days, right? I just cut them, right? <laughs> and if I get to somebody who knows how to sew, I'll get to somebody. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm just wearing it as is. But the 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 uh, the um, other thing with the daisy thobes, right? So I went and I saw a friend man a perfect sewer kameez. I said, oh, "This is perfect for me. I'll guy and I'll cut it." But let me tell you what they do. It's like I want to tell the world: Does everything have to have some flowers here? <laughs> Can we go minimalist? I'll save you the effort, right? Charge me the same price. But can do we have to have a thousand designs, right, on the thing? Can we just get a plain shirt? And that would be my garment. Like, uh, Junaid Jamshad? Yeah, Junaid. Oh, good. So we have a Junaid Jamshad there. That's what I need. I need to go get a whole bunch of those those shirts, okay? And I don't care about the size now, right? The bigger, the better, because I'm going to cut, right? <laughs> And none of these little thingies. Plus, we in the West, we don't wear that. In the East, they, they love that. Right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have to stop here. Jazakumullah khairan. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Wal asr inna al-insana lafi khusr. Let's close with Dua and Nur. Okay, what is a Dua for having a lot of success? The brothers asking. Allah says in the Quran, very simple. You want to have a general success, a word of success? Much remembrance. It's not any specific dhikr, it's muchness of the dhikr. You must do. What do you want? Gave you the shart, jawab al shart. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Allahumma jalni nuran fi qalbi, wa nuran fi qabri, wa nuran fi sam'i, wa nuran fi basari, wa nuran fi sha'ri, wa nuran fi bashari, wa nuran fi lahmi, wa nuran fi dami, wa nuran fi idhami, wa nuran fi asabi, wa nuran min bayni yadayya, wa nuran min khalfi, wa nuran an yameeni, wa nuran an shimali, وَنُورًا مِنْ فَوْقِي وَنُورًا مِنْ تَحْتِي اللهم زدني نورا وأعطني نورا واجعل لي نورا وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين